Well, good evening and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. If you would please turn your Bibles to Psalm 149, 149. <clears throat> and we are going to rejoice in the Lord tonight as we look into this portion of Scripture. I love the Psalms, as I'm sure most of you do. I love them because they're poetry, and I'm an amateur at best poet. I love them because they are songs, and I like to sing. I've been doing it for a long time. And I love them because they kind of encapsulate uh, the various feelings, emotions, trials, joys, blessings that we go through in life. If, you're, you, know, if you look at them, you're, they're really it's a, a panoply of praises to God, talking about his attributes, talking about sin, confession, repentance, forgiveness, salvation. It's, it covers a whole realm of subjects in a beautiful way, obviously a poetic way. So it's always a blessing to get into them and meditate on them and look at them. So we're going to look at Psalm 149 just a bit. <clears throat> As we look around today, I mentioned it earlier before we sang, look around at the moral corruptness of our society, the Marxist indoctrination of our young people in places of higher learning, the wars in Europe, uh, the Middle East, and other parts of the world. There's actually wars going on we probably don't even know a whole lot about, but Yemen's been in war for probably 10 years uh, between, between a, terror, a terrorist group and and the uh, normal government of Yemen, and other African countries too have uh, been subject to that. But it'd be easy if we look around all these things that are happening and uh, be a little downcast, even anxious about the future. You know, what's the future gonna be like for our country, for instance, in this election year? But as people of God, we need to learn to set our minds on things above, right? We need to look beyond all this trouble and difficulty and look to God above. You know, the world chides us by saying, if you're too heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. You know, it's a common saying, you're too heavenly minded. But we should reply, if you're too earthly minded, you'll be no heavenly good. Okay, that's our, our point of view. If you're not thinking of God at all, you're in trouble. That doesn't mean we ignore the manifestations of evil around us or pretend they're not there. They're there. But we must keep things in a proper perspective, which is an eternal perspective for us, an eternal one. Um, we must focus our attention on our sovereign God, trusting in his divine providence, drawing comfort from his eternal wisdom and power and grace and love, while recognizing, like the Apostle Paul, that God is always working all things after the counsel of his will. There's no doubt of that. We have to have a sense of confidence that there's no accidents. We like to use that term, accidents or mishaps or coincidences. No, God's in control of all things. Sometimes they're not pleasant, but he's in control. Not only that, uh, but as Psalm 149 intones, we should make it our habit of rejoicing in the Lord. We certainly find joy and, and can rejoice in the blessing that he has given us here on earth, be it family, a home, a church, food, uh, you know, all those things we can think, we can make a list of all the things we can be thankful for in a material way. <coughs> Excuse me. And above all, of course, for our salvation. We thank God for that and we can rejoice in it. But above all, we should rejoice and focus our joy in knowing him who is our creator, our redeemer, and our Lord. So let me read you this, first of all, before we read the psalm, let me read you a paragraph here from a devotional that uh, Spurgeon wrote on a portion of this psalm. And he's talking about in this, about we should be rejoicing in God's attributes. And he begins this way, he says, Rejoice, believer, but take care that your gladness has a spring in the Lord. You have much cause for gladness in God, for you can sing with David, God, my exceeding joy. That's from Psalm 43, verse 4. Be glad that the Lord reigns, that Jehovah is king. Rejoice that he sits on the throne and rules all things. 
So that's our beginning here of our little devotion, taking that part of it. Let's read Psalm 149 now. And I want, as I read it, I want you to look carefully and notice how many sentences in this psalm, or verses, you may call them, uh, begin with the words, let them, or just the word let something, okay? How that word let uh, shows up, and we'll, when we get done here, we can tell me how many times you see it in your text, okay? Psalm 149. And by the way, praise the Lord, as it begins there, is the English translation of hallelujah. Psalm 146 through 150 are called, along with a few others, are called the hallelujah psalms because they begin and end with praise the Lord or hallelujah. And we'll see that in this psalm. So praise the Lord or hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise the name, his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. Let, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgments, this honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, at the very end. <clears throat> so how many times do we see the word let them? Seven? Right, seven? Eight. You got eight? Okay, what do you have, New King James or Old King James? Geneva. Oh, Geneva, okay, yeah. I noticed that when I read it in a couple other versions, that some of them split it up a little bit differently. But that let there is important, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but, well, let me, let me deal with it now. Let, when you think of that word, let somebody do something, it speaks of both desire and responsibility. If we know, truly know God and are rightly related to him in Christ, then we should desire to praise him and rejoice in him. So there's a, a sense of a desire there. Let me do this. There's a desire to do it, okay? Indeed, if we are his people, then we have the responsibility to declare his praise to the world. So let expresses the fact that we desire to do it, but it also expresses, a, as we'll see here, the way this text is written, there's a, there's a responsibility to do it. You know, let, you, let me do this because God is who he is, and I should be doing it. As Persian goes on to point out, God's attributes, which he displays and manifests on our behalf, should make us glad to sing his praise. In fact, let me read you the next paragraph in his little um, devotional here. Every attribute of God should become a fresh ray in the sunlight of our gladness. The fact that he is wise should make us glad, knowing as we do our own foolishness. I like the way he compares here. There's that sense of you know, God's attributes. He's wise. We're foolish. That he is mighty should cause us who tremble in our weakness to rejoice. He's mighty. We're weak. That he is everlasting should always be a theme of joy when we know that we wither like the grass. He's almighty. He's eternal. We're temporal. That is, that he is unchanging should provide a perpetual song for we change every hour. That's important, I think. We forget that very easily. We think, you know, God's up there, you know, kind of hopefully coming up with plans as we go along. No, he's not. Everything he has decreed is perfect, so he never needs to change anything. He never has to change. That's very hard for us to comprehend that because we're constantly changing our mind, changing our clothes, changing, you know, things we want to do or not do. He never has to change because everything he does is perfect. Everything he's ordained is perfect. There's no reason for him to back up, 
change his mind, do something different. It's always going to be perfect because he has determined it and he backs up everything he does. That he is full of grace, that he is overflowing with it, and that this grace in covenant he has given to us, that it is ours to cleanse us, ours to keep us, ours to sanctify us, ours to perfect us, ours to bring us to glory. All this, Spurgeon says, should serve to make us glad in him. This gladness in God is like a deep river. So far, we have only touched its edge. We know a little of its clear, sweet, heavenly streams, but further on, the depth is greater and the current more powerful in its joy. We, as uh, spiritual Israel, should, like the psalmist charges his readers here in verse 2, rejoice in God as our maker, as our creator, as well as in what he has done, especially verse 4 mentions that, verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and notice the latter half of verse 4, for he will, he will beautify the humble with salvation. So we have an even greater need to rejoice that he has beautified us with salvation. He's taken us as worms, as those who are filthy in sin, and has made us beautiful. He's redeemed us. He's taken our sins away. He's given us the righteousness of Christ. Now we are beautified in Christ. He has blessed us in that way. Whether lying in our beds or fighting in the good fight of faith, we should be joyful and sing his praises with all of our strength, as he expresses there in verse 5 and 6. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. That section there in verses four, uh, 6, 7, and 8, uh, and beginning the first half of verse 9, speaks of, I think from an Old Testament point of view, of God giving the victory to his people over those nations around them that they were um, told to get rid of or to remove so they could take over the promised land. But it also speaks to us, ultimately, to conquer sin. And one day, once we, the Lord has come, we shall reign on earth with him and be over all the nations. So there's that picture as well. But it's a picture of triumph. It's a picture of, of justice and righteousness. Let me read you the rest of the devotional here before we look at a few more things. And I want you to note how the psalm does end with that hallelujah. But last couple thoughts here from Spurgeon. The Christian feels that he may delight himself not only in what God is, but also in all that God has done in the past. The psalms show us that God's people in olden times were keen to make much of God's actions and to have a song concerning each of them. And that's what I love about the psalms, that they, they give us a kind of a poetical picture of God's various judgments and works of righteousness, uh, his, his manifestation of his glory in so many different ways. Spurgeon goes on to say, So let God's people now rehearse the deeds of the Lord. Let them tell of his mighty acts and sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. That's from Exodus 15.1. That's what uh, I think uh, Miriam and the, and the ladies sang. He has triumphed gloriously. He triumphed gloriously over Egypt. Let them never cease to sing, for as new mercies flow to them day by day, so their gladness in the Lord's loving acts of providence and grace should display itself in continued thanksgiving. Be glad, children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. We have a God who is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our rejoicing. And we, in that sense, that rejoicing isn't just kind of, you know, uh, resulting in a praise of him. But rejoicing should fill our hearts with that, that sense of belonging to him, that sense of our salvation, the eternal hope we have in Christ. All those thoughts should be brought up when we think of a psalm like this. 
which challenges us to sing to him, to praise his name, to sing praises to him with instruments even, even with the dance. I'm sure Doug could probably demonstrate a little dance for us. That was praise. <laughs> but anyway, use whatever means you can, basically is what they're saying here. As a saint, use whatever means you can to praise God in a joyful, in a holy, in a fulfilling way that fills your heart with joy as well as giving glory to him. That's what we, we want to please him. We want to acknowledge him, but we also want to fill our hearts with the sense a true joy in our salvation. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. We want to use that strength to serve him. So note that this psalm begins and ends with hallelujah, which is that Hebrew word, praise the Lord. And that's what we should make it a habit in our house, in our life, in our days of doing praising the Lord, rejoicing the Lord, and finding comfort in the Lord when we're faced with the challenges of life, to know that this is but a temporal place, that we're here for a few years, uh, and that we will have eternal joy in his presence. That's something that should encourage us. Okay? I hope that's a blessing to you.